Hello, and welcome to another episode. Uh, this is your host, Paul V. And I wanted to talk about the grief process with my friend, Libby. Now, um, as I've brought up in other episodes, um, I am currently a hospice nurse. And I find this to be a death and dying and grieving is a, such an important topic always and isn't recognized enough, and I'd like to talk about it with my friend. So uh, Libby, I work with Libby. She's a social worker where I work, and many other things, really. But Libby, (laughs) would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Um, My name is Libby Hinsey. Um, I'm a medical social worker, and I have been doing hospice work for about four years now. Prior to that, I worked in palliative care and inpatient. And then before that, I worked in family practice. So I've spent the better part of 20 some years working in the medical industry in and around um, working with older adults mostly. And my love for hospice uh, really came about Um, when I recognized how underutilized it was in the family practice setting. And then it just kind of deepened my understanding from there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It really does. It calls to you. Yeah. At some point. Absolutely. And a lot of times it's, did, did you really know what it was when you decided to go into it? Or did you learn along the way? When I decided to go into hospice? Or or palliative care. Yeah. So palliative care was a trickier beast than hospice because palliative care has really um, transformed in the last 15, 20 years, really in the last 10 years. Um, And so I think we continue to learn more and more about the benefits of palliative care. Um, So... Did I, I knew what I was getting into with hospice. I was really familiar with it. I had, my grandfather had died on hospice. Um, I had a lot of people in my life that had died, um, not necessarily on hospice, but I was familiar with death in so many ways. Um, and because I had, was working in family practice, um, hospice was something that was an important piece to living and dying well, which is kind of my mantra. It's like, how do we live and die well? So I knew about hospice. I had a really good friend who was uh, working at a hospice, and we collaborated a lot on, on the work that we were doing. And um, I just became really comfortable with sitting with people who were faced with terminal illness. And I think one of the things that I recognized was that when somebody is faced with terminal illness, often not only do people not know what to do with that or how to support them or what to say, um, but they also... um, like get afraid to get close to them and touch them. And, you know, and so that was important to me because 
I was really interested in making sure that they knew that I was there and that I wasn't going to leave them alone. And that was an important piece to me because, and, and also to um, allow the family and their loved ones when they were comfortable and to get them comfortable with getting close and touching them and, you know, being there for them and supporting them. Ultimately we die alone, but it's so much nicer when you have somebody holding your hand or cuddled up close to you in bed. Mm-hmm. And so those things were things that I was like, this is what I want when I die. And I think other people do too. Yeah. It, it, it feels like, I mean, I don't know where it comes from, but we see the way people see death. It's definitely not we, but mm-hmm. the way people come across death is it's something that they want to look away from. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to, and I'm always trying to figure out what we can do to tackle that issue when we're with a family. Right. Or you mean when, when they're first coming on to service and that kind of thing? Yeah. Like there's this thing where they, you know, they, they want, they want to hand it off to somebody. Yeah. And there's a big, there's a big downside to that. And yeah. people don't realize it until afterwards. Right. And how do you approach, because you're usually the first person actually to meet with them and actually sit with them for a really long time mm-hmm. and talk it out. Right. What are some ways that you can, what are some, what are ways that you approach that conversation with people? Well, one of the most important things that I do when I'm talking to somebody who's coming on to service and their family is to really talk deeply about the philosophy of hospice and how it's much different than what most people experience in the medical field. You know, typically you go to the doctor and they tell you to do X, Y, Z and come back and see me in six weeks and and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I think we're getting better at having patient-centered care, but we also have a long ways to go, uh, especially when you get into different specialists and you're working with oncology or cardiology and some of those other specialists. It's, you know, we don't know. That's not our um, forte to know what is in our best interest, whether or not we do chemo or not. So when we get to the where we are on hospice, um, I think it's a really important message for people to know, I'm here, I'm listening to you. What you want and what you need really matters to me. And I'm your number one advocate. And I'm going to do everything I can to support you in that. And that message is really valuable to people because they don't want to be alone. And they don't want to be forgotten. And sometimes it's just so challenging when you have, there's this dynamic that I'm sure you've seen a hundred times. And it happens more often than not. Whereas the patient or the person who's on service, I don't like to use the word patient. So Mm -hmm. the person that's coming on to service, um, you know, they don't want to burden their loved ones. They feel like they're already burdening them with the fact that they're sick and they can't do all the things that they had done before. 
and their loved ones don't want to talk about what's really going on because they don't want to scare them or they don't want to hurt them. And so there's this big elephant in the room about the fact that somebody's dying and nobody really wants to talk about it. That's a big icebreaker. That's a lot to get through. And so trying to just start with where that person is in their process and meet them there and know that however this needs to be for you, I'm here to help you figure that out. So that's kind of one of the first things I try to do. Yeah. But there's so much information that we give people in that first visit that I think that that's one of the benefits of working in the hospital and doing palliative care social work, which was really the goal of me doing that work, Mm -hmm. was that I wanted, I knew that I could create relationship in the family practice setting because I had, you know, the the family practice that I worked in was um, independent. It wasn't associated with any of the big hospitals. So there were generations of families that went to go see these doctors. So creating relationships with these families was easy. They trusted us. They trusted the doctors. They trusted the medical staff. But what happens when you're working in a hospital setting? You may only see this person once. You may go in to see them and the doctors might be there. They might be sleeping. They might have visitors. They might be in too much pain. So the time that we get to work with them in that setting was very limited. And my goal in doing that work was how do I create lasting relationships in a very short amount of time? And I think that that was really super helpful to do that work because that first visit is about how do I create a memorable moment so that they know that we're here for them and we're going to support them. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much in the, when you're seeing, you know, in the medical field in that curative environment where you're handing over that power to somebody else, like you have, you know, like I go see an oncologist. What can you do about it? Here you go. Mm-hmm. I'm in your hands right. or, or, you know, and any, any other physician. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah, what I'm hearing is it's like saying, I'm here to give you your power back. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And and that's my goal, and I'm on your team, mm-hmm. but you're, you hold the power. You hold that. You hold yourself again. Right. Yeah. And there's so much wrapped up in that. You hold that, right? Because... Mm-hmm. There are all these relationships that that human is involved with Mm -hmm. for how many years that they've been involved in living. And we are just a guest in their life and a guest in the lives of the people that love them. It's complicated. It's really complicated. But incredibly gratifying and such an honor to be there. And, um, you know, bear witness to these moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> and difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. So, eh, I'm trying to think. Where do I want to go with this? Um, well, so, let's talk about... Let's talk about grief. Okay. And what? how would you describe grief to people? I think that's a thing that a lot of people aren't really familiar with. Really. Oh, my gosh. I, you said that, and I immediately got, like, this big thunk in my stomach. It's like, what is grief? Yeah. Grief is the thunk in your stomach. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's the, the shaking on the inside that you can't stop. It is... The visitor that doesn't wait for an invitation. It sneaks up on you. Um, I once heard somebody say, and my apologies for not knowing who the author was of this beautiful little quote, but um, grief is love with nowhere to go. And I think that that is true. It's, we all go through it. In different stages, whether we're talking about losing the life of somebody we love or losing a relationship or losing a job or losing connection with people in the world, you know, all these losses that are taking place, they're really, really important to honor and to honor the grief. And I feel like when we don't honor the grief, especially those little griefs, like they sneak up on us. And they detach us from the parts that make us really human. So I feel like in honoring your grief, it allows you to have a deeper feeling on what it means to be human. And that's not always easy. Sometimes I get so sick of feeling. And I've said that a lot lately. I get so sick of feeling and so many tears, but... There, you know, it also brings me great, great joy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does make, yeah, it makes you feel wealthy. Mm. Sometimes there's too much abundance. Mm. <laughs> That's good. I'm going to write that down. That's good. Yeah, there is a wealth to, um, yeah. especially right now, there is a wealth of grief mm-hmm. in the air. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, uh, do you, and do you teach people on how to, so what, you talked about honoring grief. Like, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. how do we honor grief? So I think we all have our different ways of honoring grief. I mean, it, it's, you know, it depends on, you know, what we feel comfortable with. Um, I have different ways that have come up really different for me. Um, I recently, in this last year, I've lost two people very you know, dear to me, um, my stepfather and, um, a dear, dear friend and sister, um, that, um, I have been involved with for over 40 years. We met in eighth grade and in a little town in Montana. And we, you know, have not only always been in touch, but a lot and shared a lot of our lives together. And, um, those two and honoring both of their deaths it was it was very different um my stepdad um my mom and he had been married for over 20 years but um 
I felt like I really got to know him more in the last three months of his life than I did in the 20 years prior. And um, his vulnerability was so beautiful and touching. And he was always this, like, go-to guy. You know, he was in his mid-80s, and he was just very true to his time period. And um, to see him become really vulnerable and open about his fears and to share those with me and how he made the decisions that he made about um, nearing the end of his life, which it really was a decision for this human, um, was really powerful. Um, and then with uh, Patty, um, you know, uh, she had suffered uh, for a long, long time in her life with different illnesses, but in the last year, almost to the date, she had um, glioplastoma. And so it was uh, a brutal decline. Uh, you know, she was young. She has children. Um, it was just... So that grief work was constantly in the work. I remember um, finding out you know, like getting the call at 10.30 at night. I still remember her mom calling me and saying, you know, uh, Patty had to go to the hospital. She couldn't remember how to make muffins kind of a thing. You know, so it was very clear to me, like, that conversation that we had that day. The tests are starting, and here we go. And me knowing what I know because of the work I do, and just sitting with not only Patty, but this family that I have loved throughout my entire life course. Um, and just waiting for them to hear what I already knew. Uh, that was the beginning of my grief process. And then sitting with her and talking to her and letting her come into her own and knowing where it was. Um, I started by doing art projects. Um, at the time, I was partnered with somebody who had spent a lot of time in Johannesburg and area and um, taught me a ritual um, from that culture where you just scream, right? Like you just scream your grief out. And so we went to this we found this beautiful little canyon up outside of Fall Creek, which I had never seen before or experienced before, and I'd been up there a hundred times, but we went there, and there was nobody there but us, and we were in this canyon, and we were screaming so loud, and so it was really, really powerful just to, to witness how the earth, holds our grief, which I'm astounded by. And that was a common theme throughout this process is going to the woods, going to the ocean, going to the canyon, going to the desert, right? And um, asking Mother Earth to hold me and to let me give her that grief. 
and she continually does. And I'm, I'm often, I'm so in awe of that because we as humans are so destructive when it comes to what we do to the earth. And she continues to just love us and hold us and make us feel like held. And so that's another thing that, that I really do is I really spend time in nature just like asking permission, asking permission to release and let go and give it up. Um, there's this really cool story about um, Patty on the day of her um, gathering, celebration of life. Um, her mom was sitting in a lounge chair. It was an outdoor event. It was a beautiful sunny day. And um, she just kept looking at this eagle that was flying around in the air. And people would come and talk to her and she would slowly drift off and look up and nudge. she didn't really like talk to anybody about it or she just was in it with this eagle, right? Um, and then the next morning she got a call from Patty's husband who said, there's this eagle in my backyard and just hanging out. And I took pictures with my phone, but I actually went and got the good camera and it stuck around long enough for me to take pictures with the good camera. And then like a couple hours later, Louise, her best adult time friend called and said, there's this eagle in my backyard. And it's like, and it's so amazing how, you know, um, when we are in awareness of this process, and our grief, and we ask the universe to share and take it on with us, it shows up, and, you know, the people that we love, they show up in all these different forms, these really beautiful ways, so I was busy looking up eagle totems, you know, right away, so, um, but I have been very intentional about my grief work, and um, I remember uh, a lot of screaming, a lot of scream singing. That is something that I've been doing, which that is particularly happening quite a bit right now. But mm -hmm. also as a hospice social worker and because I drive around a lot, um, there have probably been um, sightings to the local authorities about some woman with earplugs in her ears with the windows down singing at the top of her lungs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just sing. And, and so the only one who can actually hear the music is me, right? Because I got the earbuds in. And I'm just singing as loud as I can. Um, and that is really helpful. That is something that really serves me personally. So, um, you know, I don't think there's any wrong way. I think the only wrong way is to not honor your grief and to try to shove it down. I think that's harmful. It's harmful for me anyway. Um, but whatever feels good, you know. And there's one day I spent the whole day um, cutting flowers out of my garden and making bouquets of flowers and, and handing them out to the people um, that I love and that have supported me so well. Um, 
I'm really, really lucky that I have people that can show up and bear witness to my grief. I don't. I know that that's really hard, especially right now, mm -hmm. because there's so much grief in the world. So for somebody to take the time and the energy, and it takes a lot of time and energy to do that, and not try to fix it, um, and just sit and listen and be with it, is a real gift. Um, so that's another thing that I do to process my grief. And sometimes when hospice work gets really, really hard, I'll say to myself, why didn't I become a florist? That would have been such a nice job. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then I realized that I am a florist. I just don't get paid for it. You know, it's just one of the things that I do that helps me. Yeah. 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 Cause yeah. Cause yeah. Why do we always get stuck on defining it? Cause like I know so many nurses who define themselves by that. And it's easy to do. Mm -hmm. And so I could see why anybody gets mm -hmm. caught up. It's like, this is, I am this thing. Right. I am this thing. Yeah. But I really like the, I mean, all these examples, like I, you know, it's like I hear, I hear like being present mm -hmm. in every example we've talked about, like being present, you know, with the, with the eagle. Or being present and surrendering. I really like the example of surrendering that. Not surrendering, that offering, or yeah, giving that grief that's kind of weighing, it's weighing you down too much. Yeah. And offering it to the earth. Because it's, I, I, I just, I feel that so much. And I, and I know, and I've heard very many, like, like, uh, a few different practices that say that type of thing. It's like, yeah, the, yeah, why does the earth keep <laughs> accepting it? It's so yeah. much. Mm -hmm. It's so big. It's, and for me personally, I'm a large human and I work, walk through the world as a large human and often feel like this world is not the right place for me. So when I'm out in nature, um, there's this one particular place where I go where there are old growth trees that in this particular spot that I sit, that they are surrounding me and I'm in the middle of the circle and there's this branch that comes down and it's covered with moss and it kind of hangs down and it looks like like a fox's head or something like that. And it always looks like it's just watching me and not like in a creepy way, but in a, it's okay. I'm here with you kind of way. Um, and I, you know, there's not a lot of places where I feel held like that. And so it's really, it's the same with the ocean, you know? Um, we are so lucky that we live so close to the ocean that you yeah, can run to the beach in an hour and a half and, there I am standing with my feet in the sand and there's something about that. I, I actually got into the ocean uh, a week ago um, and I was struck by that feeling where you're standing there and the waves come in and they hit you and then the sand falls out from underneath your feet 
and you feel off balance for a moment, but really you're just kind of sinking in deeper to the earth. And that really struck me, just noticing that. When you're saying, talking about noticing, it's like, yeah, I'm off balance right now, um, but the waves are going to continue to come in and they're going to continue to go out. And every time they hit my legs, um, I'm going to sink deeper into this earth and become more foundation. My foundation is going to grow stronger as the waves continue to hit me, right? Because you, there's that feeling, that moment of imbalance, but then you're just kind of sinking down further and further and getting um, more sturdy as you go. And that's, that's life, right? You're going to get hit by waves. And um, they're going to continue to hit you. And then they're going to go out. And then they're going to come back. And they're going to go out. So there's been a lot of joy, too. There's been a lot of joy in this moment of grief. There's, there's been laughter. There's been relationships that have been built that have strengthened. Um, there has been a level of vulnerability that I have gone to that I don't often go to. And that's saying a lot because I can be pretty vulnerable. Um, but every time I do that, there is a deeper sense of myself that happens. But I also want to say something really important that my youngest daughter said to me, which is, and I will just preference that a little bit with, she is currently working at the convention center in Portland as uh, at one of the makeshift homeless shelters. And we were having a conversation about what it's like for her to watch me go through my grief. And she said, I think it's a complete privilege for you to be able to grieve. And the people that I work with every day, they don't have that luxury. They can't let their guards down. They could get robbed. They could get hurt. They're trying to figure out how to put food on their table. They're trying to figure out how to keep their kids safe at night. They don't have time to even access their grief. And that's really important to remember. Yeah. That there is suffering that is so deep right now that there are people that can't even access that grief. So it's a complete luxury that I can do that. And I want to recognize that. Mm. Yeah, dehumanizing people. And then, and then people act out in those scenarios and then we ask, why are they acting out that way? And you've completely dehumanized them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that is so, I mean. For the fact that you've made grief a privilege. Yes. It's horrible. Where did, yeah. how, how did we get there? Yeah. You know? And that struck me. I think that that like, that hit me in the gut. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's so true. It's so true. 
Um, and I remember being in that place once. And I remember what it was like to be so at the basic need of getting through everyday life that you can't even think about the suffering, the grieving, the loss. You just can just think about survival. So, yeah. Yeah. Can we breathe? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's much better. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it just, I mean, this talk about, I think a lot of times when people think about death and their own death, that's probably one of the hardest things to talk about with people. And it's, I think this is a really good conversation because it's the way you're talking about it and the way I feel about it. It's, when you really look at it, it's like how many awesome gifts has that person offered to you in their transition into the, whatever this reality is for them. Mm -hmm. You get, you've offered being present, which is like the most useful tool for everything present in yourself. So you can be aware, uh, reminding you of those places in nature that we need that we should be, if we don't have, you should be looking for. And these are useful things with everybody's going through grief right now in the world worldwide. Right. You can't, there is so much change. There's so much death. And that's kind of what death is. It's about, it's a change. It's not an end. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a new, Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. And I, I've just been sitting with this, like, I know people listening can't hear, can't see this, but you and I are sitting in front of the altar of Patty. Yeah. And I am always struck by the stillness of I'm also and I'm also struck by the stillness of being with death and the stillness of a room after somebody dies. And there's just something that shifts about it, right? Mm -hmm. There's a stillness about it. Um, and I think that moment of stillness is so important right now. There's just this bigger calling for, I think, all of us. And I don't think the calling is the same. I think it's different for each and every one of us. But, um, you know, there's something about that. There's something about this being 2020 and that being about vision and seeing and all of this chaos and turmoil that's happening in our world about the environment about the lack of humanity that we're seeing and really just honoring that our life is our practice. And so what does that mean our death is? I mean, does that, and that's not a question that I really am answering or want an answer to. Yeah. It's just 
like if our life is our practice and if somehow we have as a society drastically fallen away from what it means to be human to one another and to put in I've never understood how we put anything over humanity so like what does that mean about our afterlife if our life is our practice what is our afterlife that's my question yeah yeah and how do we grieve that and how do we help those that feel like it's not safe to grieve I don't know the answers. I just have more questions. That's just typically the way it goes. Yeah. Well, if you knew a lot, I'd, I mean, if you knew too much, I'd be worried about you. Mm. Yeah. The more I know, the more I don't know. That's the real truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, yeah, this is good. Uh, and, yeah, we're I, I'm sitting right next to the altar, and I, I felt like Patty was here with us. Yeah, me too. There was a lot of crackling of those candles when we started talking about her. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. 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 But yeah, I think, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, grief doesn't have to end. I, I feel like people feel like it needs to be done with, or isn't that like a thing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, and it ebbs and flows, like the ocean, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't. I, I feel like, I think a week ago, that I was so deep in my grief work, that it was extremely painful. And I know that it'll come and go. I know that the memories kind of wash over me. And I'm also working on a project for Patty, which is another thing that is really challenging in this time. Is like, how do we honor these lives and grieve them and, and find ways to have closure with, um, you know, we have different, the, our society has different ways that we honor um, death, you know, with funerals and, and all these different kind of celebrations of life and, you know, all different kinds of ways. Um, and that has been something that has really been taken away from us. And that has been really, really hard. Um, so how do we find closure? How do we how do we process these emotions? And, and a lot in isolation, you know. Um, for me, I was able to serve as uh, Patty's death doula on the final day of her life. And, um, funny, I didn't even realize that until about three days after she was gone, that that's what I was doing. I played particular music for her that day. I sang songs to her um, that were memories of us when we were younger. Um, I did a death mantra. You know, there were very particular things that I did that day. And I don't ever want to forget them. And I want to share them with, especially with people that wanted to be here but couldn't be. Her brother was diagnosed with COVID-19 the day she died. And he wasn't able to be there. 
he was in Mon he's in Montana, but he was going to travel to come and see her. Um, and then had a fever, and we we're like, no, you can't come. He ended up testing positive. He's fine. He's out of the hospital now, and he's doing much better. But, you know, for him, it's like how devastating that he wasn't able to be there, um, that this disease robbed him of seeing his sister one final time. Um, and so how do we put closer to that? So I am creating a video that um, I put a story, like the songs that I sang or played for her, there's a story behind them and why I chose them. So I'm like telling the story behind the song and then playing the song and then backing that up with some pictures um, and some memories over the last year of being with her. Um, and some of the time that we spent together. So that's one of the ways that I'm trying to process my grief and honor the family and honor their work because this is, this is something that I'm close to every day. Mm -hmm. This isn't something most people are close to every day. Yeah. And so it, it, it was, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. I like that you're, I mean, in this whole thing, you're you're just continually checking in on it. Yeah. You're checking in on her, and whatever that means, it's it's good. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to uh, add anything else before we close out? I don't think so. Yeah. Just that it was really great to be able to share this story and share her. You know, I called her Patty Lulu. And, uh, yeah, just to, you know, she is a very special human. And now she's up there with, you know, the bald eagle. Yeah. Watching over all of us. So I'm um, very grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for spending time with me and talking about this and sharing it. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. All right. Thanks. Thanks.